0: Welcome to my two cents podcast wrestling highlights of the week this is the portion of the podcast where I talk to you about Wrestling highlights that happen in the week of professional wrestling this week We will be talking about Raw, Smackdown, NXT, AEW, Impact Wrestling And I will be reaching over my hand over into New Japan professional wrestling because there are some important newsworthy events that are uh happening in New Japan, one that has been confirmed and one that is a potential uh, thing that could change up the wrestling landscape. Well, the landscape of professional wrestling. But I'll get to that whenever I get to New Japan. But let me start off with uh, highlights that happened on Monday Night Raw. On Raw, you had Kofi Kingston going against Drew McIntyre, but that went to a new contest. And the winner of the supposed match, was supposed to fight Bobby Lashley at Hell in the Cell for the WWE Championship. But MVP and Bobby Lashley interrupted that match, which led to a no contest. So now, tonight, on Monday Night Raw, Kofi Kingston and Drew McIntyre will run that match back, and the winner of this match will face Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship at Hell in the Cell. And this time, Adam Pearce made a special uh, provision that, Both MVP and Bobby Lashley are barred from ringside. And if they happen to interfere, Bobby Lashley will be suspended without pay. The next match to happen was Nikki Cross going against Rhea Ripley. But Nikki Cross had to last two minutes in the ring with Rhea Ripley off the fact of Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley were talking before the match happened. And Rhea told Charlotte that she can beat Nikki Cross within two minutes. And Nikki Cross took her up on that offer, and Rhea Ripley did not beat Nikki Cross in that two minutes, so Nikki Cross was able to withstand Rhea Ripley for two minutes and win the match. The next match after this was Charlotte going against Asuka, and Charlotte beat Asuka by pinfall. The next match that happened was Cedric Alexander going against Shelton Benjamin, and Cedric beat Shelton Benjamin by pinfall. The next match that happened was Riddle going against Xavier Woods. And Riddle beat Xavier Woods by pinfall. But Riddle used his tag partner's uh, finisher to RKO. He used Randy Orton's finisher the RKO to beat Xavier Woods. And might I say, this match was good. Xavier Woods is not really... Known for wrestling that much, even though in his past life, aka before he got to WWE, or if you want to say before he did his whole New Day uh stint, he was a professional wrestler that actually went in the ring and actually wrestled. Even though he did wrestle in the New Day and they were actually able to rely on one another and showcase each other's special abilities, Xavier Woods was just basically known as the front man. He was the guy on the floor playing the trumpets, hyping the guys up. But whenever he was in the ring wrestling, he was usually like in the ring for uh the special events. Either it's a hardcore match or a hell in a cell. That's what he's most famous for. But nevertheless, this match was good. Riddle hit Xavier Woods with an RKO to win and that shocked everybody because, well, you don't see your tag partner usually you don't see a tag team used each other's finish. So that kind of came out of nowhere. But I digress. The next match that happened was Jason Riker going against AJ Styles. Jason Riker beat AJ by pinfall because uh, Elias attacked AJ while the referee was distracted. And then Riker hit AJ with his finish. And then after the match, Elias got attacked by Omos. And Omos... Ran Elias and Jesse Jason Riker out of the ring and back to the backs. The next match that happened after this was Seamus beating Humberto Carrillo by pinfall. He grabbed him by the tights. But after the match, Seamus attacked Humberto, but Ricochet made the save to get Seamus away from Humberto Carrillo. The next match that happened was Natalia and Tamina beating Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler by pinfall. But what's happened after this was the setup for tonight. At the end of the match, well, coming up to the end of the match, Reginald was out there to try to help Nia and Shayna Baszler retain, uh, win back their women's tag team championships. But Shayna yelled at Reginald and told him to go to the back. And as he was walking up the ramp, fire hit on both sides of the ramp and it blew reginald rolling down the ramp and that caught everybody off guard what led to natalia able to roll up Shayna basley with a roll up and get the pinfall and after the match Shayna went up on reginald and asked him is he okay reginald was covering his eyes and saying yeah yeah i'm okay i'm fine and Shayna was yelling at him in the face, and she challenged him to a match tonight. So tonight, you will be seeing Shayna Baszler going against Reginald on Raw. More than less, you'll probably see uh, Shayna choking out Reginald. And this will probably be the last time that we'll see Reginald on WWE television. Probably. Just a, just my thoughts on it. Now, NXT. First match to happen on NXT was Ember Moon and Shasi Blackheart beating Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai by pinfall. But after the match, Raquel Gonzalez attacked Ember Moon and Shashi Blackheart to establish her dominance over the NXT Women's Division. The next match that happened after this was Pete Dunne defeating Bobby Fish in his uh, by pinfall, and this is Bobby Fish' first uh, match, first match back since War Games. War Games happened in early November, so he's been out for I'll give it. December, January, February, March, April, May. Six months. So this is his first match in six months. So, And he comes up on the losing end. And after the match, Orny Lorcan starts going to work on Bobby Fish's arm. He's trying to tear the arm out of the socket. He's trying to just stretch out uh, Bobby Fish's arm until referees came out and tried to pull Orny Lorcan off of Bobby Fish. After this... You had Mercedes Martinez beating Zeta Romari. Oh, sorry, Romari by pinfall. And then after this, Mercedes Martinez uh was caught off guard because uh Zia Lee's uh mentor uh sprayed miss. Well, she distracted Mercedes after the match. And she had it was on the big, it was on the Tron. And she was basically letting Mercedes know that she's next. And whenever Mercedes looked at her arm, well, her back of her hand, she saw the marking of the your next marking. So we can see Ziya Lee going against Mercedes Martinez next. And if anything, this is going to elevate Zaya Lee more to be the next uh, upcoming NXT Women's Challenger. Well, NXT Women's Challenger for the NXT Women's Championship somewhere down the line. That's where this is more or less leading up to. And then after this, we had the million dollar face off. Ted DiBiase and Cameron Grimes had a little face off. Cameron Grimes told Ted DiBiase that he looked up to Ted DiBiase. He told him that when I got money, I was able to figure out and understand why people like Me, they were able to They like me because I have money and I was able to act like you. I was able to be a jerk and still people were able to still like me because I got money. Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase told Cameron that, listen, you have money. You have the stuff. I've watched you. I watched the product. But the thing that you don't have is the million dollar mentality. So he made it known that he is looking for the next person to carry on the million-dollar legacy. And out comes L.A. Knight. L.A. Knight interrupts this million-dollar showdown, and he tells Ted DiBiase that, listen, I am the perfect man to carry on the million-dollar legacy. Look at me. I am the only man in NXT that has the brain, the brawn, everything you'll need for somebody to carry on the million-dollar legacy. Cameron Grimes told him that, listen, This is a stare down. This is a meeting between two millionaires, not somebody like you, the Nickel and Diamond. And he told LA Knight to get out of there. LA Knight got in the ring. He stood there and he just let Cameron Grimes talk and talk. And then as soon as Cameron Grimes was about to talk back to Ted DiBiase, LA Knight attacked uh, Cameron Grimes from the back and hit him with his finish. He's basically kicking the gut and then... uh, uh, there's a modified uh, face buster, but you're... Yeah, modified face buster, yeah. He does that, and then uh Ted DiBiase sees this, and he looks at Cameron after the fact, and he says, you just don't get it. And he does his Million Dollar Man signature laugh, and that's how you end that segment with Ted DiBiase and LA Knight walking up the ramp. You can see a potential partnership between these two, but it hasn't been confirmed yet. I'll give it another two weeks, two to three weeks, and then we'll probably see that be confirmed. Or, Ted DiBiase, you have found the guy to carry on the Million Dollar Man legacy. Anyway, after this, you had the debuting Frankie Monet defeat Cora Jade by pinfall in this match. It was an easy match for Frankie Monet it was basically a match just to showcase who she is, what you should expect from her in the future. It's basically just, okay, here she is. Here's what she can do. This is all this match was for. And this is match was for Frankie Monet. Just to showcase her. After this match, we had Bronson Reed doing an in-ring promo. He's thanking the people. He's talking about how hard it was for him to get here, how long he's been on the independence until he got here. And then Legado del Fantasma. Comes out and interrupts Bronson Reed in this promo. You have Santos Escobar talking on the mic and he tells Bronson that that North American title belongs to him because he represents everything that wrestling is. He talked about how he took the Cruiserweight title from obscurity and brought it up to the light and make people actually care about the title. And he talked about how he doesn't belong to the wrestling business and how the wrestling business belongs to him. He was born into wrestling, and wrestling belongs to him. And he by that, by proxy, that North American title belongs to him. And before Logato Del Fantasma can attack Bronson Reed, MSK comes out and makes a save and sticks up for Bronson. So down the line, you're going to get Bronson Reed going against Santos Escobar for the North American title. But this upcoming episode of NXT this week, you will be seeing MSK going against Legado del Fantasma, Joaquin Wilde, and Raul Mendoza for the NXT Tag Team Championship. That's what you should be expecting. And in the main event of NXT, you had Karrion Cross defeating Finn Balor by referee, Stoff- referee Stoppage to retain... The, his NXT championship and what I mean by referee stoppage he puts Finn Balor to sleep Finn doesn't tap out or nothing he just passes out so the referee sees this he has to call the bell and that's how the match ends I don't oh Elliot yeah, in this upcoming week you will be also getting a triple threat match to see who's going to go against Karrion Cross next for the NXT championship it will be Kyle O'Reilly going against Pete Dunne going against Johnny Gargano the winner of this match will be going against Karrion Cross at the next uh, NXT TakeOver, which is NXT TakeOver In Your House. That is going to, that's the main event for this upcoming NXT episode. Now for AEW. AEW will happen to not take place on a Wednesday this week. It took place on a Friday at 10 o'clock and it will do so also this week uh, at Friday at 10 o'clock as well. So be on the lookout for that when you look for AEW. It's not going to be on Wednesday this week. It's going to be on Friday at 10 o'clock after SmackDown. So basically, you can watch SmackDown, which airs from 8 to 10. And then you can go to TNT and watch AEW. And that will last from 10 to 12, I suggest. Usually, it's a two-hour show, so there you go. But anyway, on AEW this week, you had Darby Allin beating Caesar. Benoni by Pinfall. And then after the match, Darby Allen calls out Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page begins up getting attacked by the wingmen, which consists of Cesar Caesar Benoni, uh JD Drake, Peter Avalon, and Nick Nemeth. As they're beating down C as uh the wingmen are beating down Darby Allen and Sting, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky come out and beat down on Sting and in- Darby Allen as well, and then as they're beating them down, the wingmen leave, and now it's down to Sky, Paige, and Darby Allen and Sting. Dark Order comes out and makes the save for Darby Allen and Sting. After that, you had the weigh in for Cody Rose and Anthony Agogo. This was a long segment, it was basically for nothing. AEW does these segments that are. Just time consuming, I understand, is trying to kill airtime, but you can do some stuff with this. You can show another match or you can do an actual in-ring promo between the two, but they wanted to do a weigh-in. I understand Anthony and Gogo's background is Olympic uh, boxing and boxing has weigh-ins, but this one didn't need a weigh-in. This one took too long to do. I respect them for just trying to kill time and do something different out of the ordinary but I would have liked just another match or just a talking segment, something of that nature. But I digress. After this, you had Will Hobbs and Christian Cage having a backstage uh, fight. They were fighting backstage, and referees had to pull them apart. And then after that segment, you had Hangman Adam Page beating Joey Janela by pinfall, and Team Taz was ready to attack... Hangman Page, but Hangman challenged Brian Cage to get in the ring by himself without Team Taz. Hangman ran down uh, Brian Cage and he told him, listen, I understand what Team Taz is about to do. They're about to come in here, kick my butt and everything else, but you're Brian Cage. You're supposed to be the machine. Do you really need these guys to help you beat me up? He got into the head of Brian Cage to go off the To make a divert off of the Team Taz playbook of basically all together beat down on one person. So Brian Cage decided and he told them to get out of the ring. I don't need you guys for this. He listened to what Adam Page had to say, and Adam Page goaded Brian Cage into at double or nothing. It'll be him versus Page, just a singles one on one match. No Team Taz around. Let's see if you could beat me square up one-on-one. Brian Cage accepts it, accepts the match, and he accepts the conditions. So at double or nothing, you were going to get Brian Cage going against Adam Page. No team tags around the ring. Just a straight singles man's competition. After this, you had Orange Cassidy making a uh making up his decision to either renege on the fact of Doing the triple threat match being meaning he's going to dip out of the triple threat match and allowing it now to be a singles match between Pac and Kenny Omega at double or nothing for the AEW world title. Or is he going to stand his ground and still be in the match and now will be a triple threat? But before that could happen, Pac comes out and he grabs a mic and he runs down saying that this match should be a one on one match. I don't know what we're even doing with this triple threat, but as this is going on. Kenny comes from behind and attacks Pac. And this is now uh, just straight up beat down on Pac. Gordon and Kenny just having a one-on-one fighting each other. And then the Good Brothers come out and beat down on Pac. And then the Luger Brothers come out. to Scare, the Good Brothers out of the way. So now you just got Pac and Omega in the ring just duking it out. And Omega gets the upper hand on Pac. And Pac is now laying on the ring and Kenny's standing alone in the ring while Pack is laid out. Orange Cassidy walks out to the ring, and he hands Kenny Omega an envelope, and Kenny Omega opens up the envelope, and his paper's shredded. These are the same papers that Kenny and Don Callis gave Orange Cassidy a couple weeks ago to sign and say that he is dipping out of the triple threat match and allowing it to be a singles match. He... Sees that the papers are shredded. He looks at Orange Cassidy. And he gets hit with an orange punch. A.K.A. a Superman punch. Kenny Omega is laid out on the ring. And Orange Cassidy looks at the AEW world title. He's about to grab the title up. Pack puts his foot on the AEW title. And he looks at Cassidy. And now Pack is standing up. Orange Cassidy is looking at Pack. Pack throws a punch to Orange. Orange ducks it and hits Pack with a Superman punch. So the last image that you see out of that segment was Orange Cassidy standing in the ring, holding the AEW title, while Kenny Omega and Pack are both laid out on the mat. After this, you had Jay Cargill beat Kaelin King by pinfall. Jay Cargill now has a manager and his name is Mark Sterling and that is the big hubba of that. This match was basically to showcase Jay Cargill and racking up more wins for her uh, onto her rise on the AEW Women's Title Power Ranking. After this, you had Miro defeating Dante Martin by submission for the TNT uh, Championship. Basically, Miro put up his TNT title and he retained it in this match. After this match, you had Lance Archer coming out and him and and Miro brawled and Miro uh, dipped out of the ring. He got thrown out of the ring by Lance Archer and the referees came out to separate these two guys. So you get Miro going against Lance Archer at double or nothing for the TNT Championship. After this, you had Sheeta being celebrated for holding the AEW Women's Championship for 377 days as champion. As this is going on, AEW decides to give her an updated version of the AEW Women's title. It's basically just a bigger version of the belt that she originally had, and also just adds more gold around like the main center plate. As they gave her this new belt, Britt Baker comes out, and she interrupts, she, does, she tells her, listen, I understand that you were a great champion. You did such great things and all that. But when it, it comes to double or nothing, I'm going to beat you and AEW is going to be entering a new era. And she says verbally this, that I'm going to take back what I said a couple weeks ago. And she says this, I said that whenever I beat you, I'm going to become the face of the women's division. She has to now change that up. And she tells Sheeta that whenever I beat you, I will become the face of the new era of AEW. So now that sets the stage for Double or Nothing with Britt Baker going against Hikaru Shida for the AEW women's title. And that's all for that. The next thing that happened after this was Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page beating Uno and Stu Grayson by pinfall. And after this, you had Darby Allin and Sting come out, but Sting had a group of Stings and it was basically guys under a Sting mask. And one by one going into the ring, they got beat down by Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page until the real Sting came into the ring and Sky couldn't beat up on Sting. Sting just basically no-sold it while Ethan Page was getting beat down by Darby Allin. So, whenever it came to that, you the last image that you saw was Darby Allin and Sting in the ring by themselves. And Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page outside of the ring looking up at Darby Allin and Sting. And in your main event, you had the Inner Circle, you had an Inner Circle Celebration. The Inner Circle was being celebrated because at Double or Nothing it was going to be go. It was going to be the Inner Circle going against the Pinnacle at Stadium Stampede. If the Inner Circle loses to the Pinnacle, this is the last time you will see the Inner Circle together as a cohesive unit. They will have to disband forever. That's the stipulation. So with that happening, the Inner Circle were given a big. Uh, almost a big farewell like tribute. Just in case if this is the last time we see you guys together on Dynamite as a unit, we're gonna let you guys go out in a bang. They play a video package. They let the guys speak and talk, and they do their whole middle finger pose at the end of it. But before AEW goes off, they show Max talking on the Titantron and telling the Inner Circle, "Hey, you guys need to come down to the stadium because uh." A friend is here for you. And they pan over to De Malenko in a chair. Beat up. And this is a guy that's friends with Chris Jericho for multiple years. And now you have the Inner Circle running to the stadium to try to save Dean Malenko. And as they're running to the stadium, they're ambushed by the Pinnacle. So this was a ambush job by the Pinnacle to the Inner Circle. So as the Inner Circle are getting beat up and beat up they're getting beat up and dog walks into the stadium and as they get into the stadium they're now set up for a situation the inner circle now are almost about to be power driven each one of them are being held up by a member of the pinnacle you got dash and cash on some steps and they have Santana and Ortiz in a pile driver position, and they're about to pile drive them off the steps into two tables. While you have MJF holding up Chris Jericho, you had Warlow holding up Jake Hager, and you have Sean Spears holding up Sammy Guevara. And those three are about to get pile driven on some steel, sta- steel chairs. So, I'm sorry. And they all get to count down to five. So at five, all of them drop their opponent all at the exact same time. And they didn't. So the last image that you saw on AEW Dynamite was the inner circle being laid out by the pinnacle to give you more hype up for the Double or Nothing pay-per-view. Now for Impact Wrestling. TJP and Father Bob beat Josh Alexander and Petey Williams by pinfall. You had Jordan Grace, Rachel Ellering, Rosemary, Havoc, and Tenille Dashwood beat... Tasha Steels, Kiara Hogan, Kimberly, Susan, and Deanna Perazzo by Pinfall. You had Rosemary pinning Deanna Perazzo. You had Violence by Design have an in ring promo, and it was interrupted by Kojima. And Kojima is a New Japan Hall of uh, not Hall of Famer, but he's a legend in New Japan. He's a legend in Japan. And Kojima comes to the ring and he walks up into the ring and he stares down with Joe Doring him and Joe Doring has had a f- feud from their time in all Japan pro wrestling over in some years ago and Kojima just stares at Joe Doring and he says against all odds so he challenged Joe Doring to a match at Against All Odds and Joe Doring accepts so now at Against All Odds you will be getting Kojima going against Joe Doring then you had Decay, which consists of Stevie Crazy Steve and Black Taurus beating Johnny Swinger and Hernandez by pinfall. And in the main event, you had the Good Brothers beat Moose and Sammy Callahan by pinfall. And after the match, Moose speared Callahan after the match. Moose let Callahan know that I never needed your help. I never wanted your help. Stay away from my championship opportunity. So that's how you end impact. Now, SmackDown, the first thing that light up SmackDown was a match between the Usos and the Street Profits. And might I say, this was a great, great opening match. I mean, this was just phenomenal. This gave this match gave a lot of people enough time to showcase who they really are. This gave the Usos time to showcase, okay, this Usos is different from the other. One person is more Roofless and other, and this gave the Street Profits a lot of time to let people know in the future, okay, these are guys that are, are here to stay. This is a tag team that you really need to watch out more for in the future, even though they were tag champions. If you ever doubted them before, this match was to prove to you that you shouldn't be doubting the Street Profits. And also, might I say, this showed a nice little character, uh, character development between the two Usos. Because right now you have Jay as the right-hand man of Roman Reigns. And then you had Jimmy, who basically wants Jay to come back to him and basically be the tag team that they are. And you don't have to follow under Roman's thumb. And you can tell that in the entrance because in the as they're walking down the ring, you see Jimmy Uso wearing the Uso shirt down since day one and his uh shorts. And Jay Uso is wearing the Right Hand Man T-shirt and some black pants. I think there's a character uh development that people didn't really pay attention to, but I believe that you should be paying attention to that much more in the future. But anyway, the Uso's beat the Street Profits by pinfall. You had Jimmy Uso pinning Montez Ford, and as I said, if you haven't watched it, find a way you can wa- find a way on YouTube or on Google it. Do something. Find that match. Watch it. I guarantee you you'll be interested in that match. If not, I don't know what to tell you. The next thing after this, the next match that happened after this was Tamina and Natalia beating the Riot squad by pinfall. You had Tamina uh hitting her splash on Liv not Liv Morgan, but uh Ruby Riot to get the pin. And then you have Bianca Belair beating Carmella by pinfall and Bailey was on commentary to more further out the feud between Bianca and Bailey. This is what this was for, and then after this, you had Seth Rollins cut an in-ring promo, and the main point was the promo was is uh, he's blaming Cesaro and the fans for what he had to do to Cesaro. He's blaming Cesaro and the fans for Cesaro's misfortunes, making him to believe that he can do bigger things than what he actually can do. Yeah, that is what uh, Seth Rollins whole main point was. If Cesaro were just to listen to me, he would have been fine. But no, he listened to you, the fans, and he listened to himself and thinking that he was bigger than what he was. And that was what led uh, Cesaro down his downfall. That was Seth Rollins whole main point of that promo. Next thing after this was Kevin Owens beating Apollo crews by DQ because Commander Aziz attacked Kevin Owens with the Nigerian nail as uh Kevin Owens was pinning Apollo after he hit Apollo with the stunner. He does this, he gets a KO, he not KO, he gets the DQ win over Apollo. And you see Kevin Owens in the trainer's room, and Adam Pierce walks up on Kevin Owens and he tells Kevin, listen, you're a strong guy. Everything will be fine. Whenever you rest up, you'll get your Intercontinental Championship opportunity. Kevin Owens tells him as he's trying to catch his breath that he wants Apollo Crews next week for the Intercontinental title without Commander Aziz next to the ring. Adam Pearce makes that match happen, so on this upcoming episode of Friday Night SmackDown, you will be getting Apollo Crews going against Kevin Owens for the Intercontinental title With Commander Aziz. Nowhere near. Next segment that happened after this was. Roman Reigns talking to Jey Uso. And Roman was getting in the head of Jey Uso. And telling him listen. When it was me and you. You were main event Jey Uso. You were in the main event. But now when your brother comes back. And you and him have a match. You're not in the main event. You're in the beginning you're in the opening match. You're opening the show. Under my tutelage, you were in the main event. Now, you could either be with your brother, or you could be with me. The choice is yours. So he's getting in the head of Jey Uso in that promo. And in the main event, you had the Mysterios of Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio beating the Dirty Dogs, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. But, Dominic Mysterio basically went at this match by himself because his father, Rey Mysterio, was attacked before the match began. And Dominic wanted to repay the favor of what his father did for him at WrestleMania Backlash when Rey Mysterio won the match and went into the match by himself before Dominic came in to try to help out. So Dominic's now trying to repay the favor. So Dominic starts the match off against Dolph and Robert Roode. And about a good 90% of the match, it's Dominic going against Dolph and Robert. And then at the last 10%, which I would say about a good um, like a good 30 seconds, Rey Mysterio comes out and Robert Ruse is distracted, and Dominic gets rolls up uh Dolph Ziggler and pins Dolph Ziggler for the one, two, three. And now you have Dominic Mysterio and Rey Mysterio retaining the SmackDown Tag Team Titles over the Dirty Dogs. After that happens, you have the Usos now running into the ring. Because next week on SmackDown, you will be having the Usos going against Dominic and Ray Mysterio for the SmackDown Tag Team Titles. And as that was happening, you had a camera pan to Roman Reigns in his locker room. And it was Roman and Paul Heyman staring at the television of Jay and Jimmy looking at Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio with the tag team titles. This story is becoming much more interesting as days go on and on and the story continues to unravel itself. Right now, Jimmy, not Jimmy, but right now, Roman Reigns still doesn't have a challenger for the uh, Universal title at Hell in a Cell. I can see Jay turning on Jimmy next week In their match against the Mysterious for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. And that making Jimmy upset. And he's going to now say, okay, cool. I'm going to go after Roman for the Universal title. And this will kind of conclude the almost year story that's been going on between Jay and Jimmy and Roman. The Samoan uh, little bloodline rivalry that they've been having. So I can see that at Hell in a Cell, you'll get Roman versus Jimmy Uso inside Hell in a Cell. And if Jimmy loses, he has to join the family. He has to do Roman's bidding just like Jay Uso is doing. I can see that. I can see that's probably where this is leading up to. And now I want to give you guys the AEW results from AEW's pay-per-view Double or Nothing. The first match was Adam Page beating Brian Cage by pinfall. The second match was the Young Bucks beating John Moxley and Eddie Kingston by pinfall. The third match was the Casino Battle Royal. Leah Rush was the Joker because uh, jo- the Joker meaning he was a special entrance because you had guys that were already announced for the match but then you had that one person that was a special entrance a special surprise for the live audience and by the way there was a whole packed audience this was this they were uh at daily's place and air though every seat was filled up and everybody was uh, elbow to elbow pre-covid times if you will but anyway getting back to my point leo rush was the joker he was a surprise entrance but the winner of the Casino Battle Royal and who will be facing Kenny Omega in two weeks' time on AEW Dynamite will be Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy lastly, elim- lastly eliminated Christian Cage to win the Casino Battle Royal. The next match that happened after this was Cody Rose beating Anthony Agogo by pinfall. The next match after this was Miro defeating Lance Archer by referee stoppage to retain his TNT championship. He locked in the game over and Lance Archer uh passed out in the game over, which is the camel clutch, and the referee saw that and she had to call for the bell. The next match after this was Britt Baker defeating Sheeta by submission to win the AEW Women's Title. And this Is now a new era for the AEW Women's Championship, Women's uh, Division, and AEW just as a whole because now I believe fans are going to start piling in more because they're about because AEW is about to uh, go around. And what I mean by around, they're going to start traveling soon. And Sheeta was basically the AEW Women's Champion. For all throughout the whole COVID time, she beat Nia Rose last year at the a at the Double or Nothing pay per view last year, and she was champion from last year's Double or Nothing to this year's Double or Nothing, and last year's Double or Nothing happened at almost the beginning of the pandemic, so she was champion all through pandemic time, so she was the undisputed MVP for the women's division during the pandemic so now that the crowd is back in we're going to see how favorable Sheeta is to the crowd and Britt Baker got a big crowd pop the crowd was cheering I mean just constant cheering for Britt Baker when she won the AEW Women's title it was been it was time for Sheeta to drop it but it was sad because Sheeta held on to the belt for so long and carried AEW women's division throughout that whole pandemic, but it was time, and hopefully Sheeta will get that rematch and win the belt later down the line. Later. I mean, just probably about a good five months later. Let's see how Britt Baker carries the belt, and then we can see if Sheeta will gain the belt back. That's my thoughts on that, just to make that preference. Anyway, the next match to happened after this was Sting and Darby Allin beating Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky by a pinfall. Sting beats Scorpio Sky. He locks in the Scorpion Death Drop and hits Scorpio Sky with it. And might I add, Sting actually wrestled in this match. Yes, it was a little bit of wrestling. He didn't take a lot of bumps. He didn't do a whole lot of falling down and all this and that like regular wrestlers do. But you got to remember, the man is in his early 60s and he had a neck problem six years ago. So him just even to wrestle what he was able to wrestle is a big step up than not wrestling at all and not doing anything at all. And he also was actually able to move around faster than what people did expect, even what I expected from what I saw. It it was just phenomenal. You whenever you saw the fans just getting so hyped up from, and might I add, Sting uh jumped off of a stack of poker chips. The AEW stage had some poker chips lined up, stacked up, and that's what I'm talking about. He got on the poker chips and jumped off the poker chips onto Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. But anyway, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page lost to Sting and Darby Allin by pinfall. The next match I have after this was Kenny Omega beating Orange Cassidy and Pac by pinfall. Orange Cassidy had uh, Omega dead to rights. He hit Omega with the... Uh, orange punch and he was rolling and he had and he was pinning Kenny Omega and as soon as the referee was about to hit three count Kenny was able to uh, reverse the pinning attempt into another pinning attempt and now Kenny is pinning Orange Cassidy and the referee was able to count one two three and that's how Kenny Omega retains his AEW championship and in the main event oh Before I get to this, after this match, they had an introduction of a new signee for AEW. and The newest signee of AEW is Mark Henry, the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. Former WWE World Heavyweight Champion, Mark Henry. WWE Hall of Famer, Mark Henry. He is now going to be joining the broadcast team of AEW whenever AEW rolls out their new show, Rampage. That will be debuting on a Friday night, late August of this year. So AEW did it again. They were able to take another legend and put it on the put them on the payroll to do commentating skills. And more or less, somewhere down the line, you'll get Mark Every joining in the fray, wanting to wrestle somewhere down the line because he has uh made comments and said that he does want to wrestle again before he actually hangs up the boots. And he's been dropping weight to do it. Same thing with Big Show. Big Show's or as I should say, Paul White, who is signed with AEW. He's dropping weight and he has said that he wants to wrestle in AEW and he kinda and it was leaked out that he has a contract with AEW to be a wrestler, an ambassador, and a commentator. They probably signed Mark Henry on for the same thing. Commentator, wrestler and ambassador for AEW. But in due time we shall see. The only thing that has been known is Mark Henry has been signed. He will be doing uh commentary for AEW's new show, Rampage, that will be debuting late August of this year. And that I can't wait to see it. That's another show that I'll be that's another wrestling product I'll just be watching. Hey man, I love wrestling, and this is uh this is kind of what I do. And in the main event of double or nothing, you had the inner circle beating the pinnacle. By pinfall in the stadium stampede, each wrestler had a specific section that they will cut to in during the stadium stampede. Jericho and MGF fought around, fought inside like the lunch room, like the back of like the kitchen area, and then up into the offices of the Jaguars and all of this. Sammy Guevara and um, God. Sean Spears fought in a room full of chairs and then they broke out into the hallway and continued fighting there. Warlow and uh, Jake Hager fought in a freezer. And then you had Santana and Ortiz going against FTR with Tully Blanchard. I had, inside of a club in the stadium. And in that club scene, you had Santana Ortiz fighting FTR, but they dropped a little Easter egg for anybody that didn't pay attention to uh, Santana Ortiz before they got into AEW. The DJ of that club was Conan. Conan used to manage Santana Ortiz when they were in Impact Wrestling. Before they went to AEW, they were the newly formed, well, of LAX. And in Impact Wrestling, Conan was always with Santana Ortiz. He was their manager. He was the guy that took care of them, brought them up. And whenever you saw Conan as a DJ, I was like, oh, okay. That was another little cool Easter egg that they did for uh, professional Wrestling fans that paid attention to people's backstories before they got signed, signed by a bigger corporation. But anyway... The ending of the match came whenever the action starts spilling back into the back in the, back into the actual ring. And the final sequence was Sammy Guevara pinning Sean Spears to get the win. So now we will be seeing the pinnacle and Nana Circle still be going at it back and forth for probably another couple more weeks. If I had it my way, this will probably be like a good little book ending stop. Point for these two. I want the inner circle and the pinnacle to start trying to breach away from one another. You can have the inner circle still be together, but you can have them do their own little separate thing. The pinnacle needs to be together, but start branching off into like MGF, going after the TNT title since no, not TNT title, but going after and start ranking up more points so he can go after a singles title. FTR needs to start racking up points. Warlow needs to start racking up points. Same thing with the Inner Circle. Sammy Guevara, it's time for him to go after the TNT title. It's time for Santana and Ortiz to go after the AEW Tag Team Championships. I believe they're one of the teams that should be taking out the Young Bucks to win the Tag Team titles. I believe, if anything, they're probably the team to do it. Because FTR, whenever FTR and Young Bucks go at it one more time, there should be a good team versus a bad team scenario like there was the first time. And if the Lucha Brothers go after the Young Bucks, that should be in front of a crowd too. Like the first time, first couple times in AEW's history and their their, uh, events, whenever it was announced in 2019, it was the Young Bucks going against the Lucha Brothers a lot. Well, the first two shows. I'm not going to say a lot. But those are the only two tag teams I see the, them taking the belts off of the Young Bucks. Uh, Santana and Ortiz or the Lucha Brothers. And now would be a great thing because the fans can't wait for Santana and Ortiz to win the tag titles. And they can't wait for the Lucha Brothers to finally have tag team titles. Same thing with Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara has a lot of uh, explosiveness and people like the kid. People like Sammy Guevara. People can't wait for him to win a championship. So right now, after the stadium stampede match, there should be a nice little separation between church and state. These guys should take a bow out. We should, okay, we're going to start pitting them. We're going to have them go against each other from time to time, whenever the rankings show up for it. But right now, have each members of the team each representative team start going after different titles. And yes, their paths might cross on the rankings to jump up ahead of each other. But that's the only time you guys should be going against one another until it becomes to a point like each team just starts screwing up each other's opportunity. And then you get a big big blow off and then you get okay the pinnacle versus the inner circle in one match Losers disband forever. That should be the way it should go. I'm hoping that it's going to lead that way now after the stadium stampede. But that's just my thoughts on that. I've given you the results of AEW Dynamite. And I've given you the results of AEW uh, Double or Nothing. And now I want to talk about some New Japan news. New Japan... Yeah, are doing their Dominion show. I'm not sure it's gonna be in front of crowd or not, like a big crowd, but because Japan hasn't really like said anything about their uh ordinate, like their uh mask, like their uh, COVID-19 situation, like America has, because America's now reopening itself. I can't say the same thing for Japan. So right now, I'm gonna air on a caution. New Japan is doing a show in front of a limited select of fans at a st- at a show, at a e- venue, if you will, Dominion, their second biggest show of the year behind Wrestle Kingdom, and in the main event of the show, it will be Okada going against Shingo for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, well, because Will Ospreay can't defend the IWGP World Heavyweight title, that's the reason why that title is vacated and this match is happening. Between these two men, the reason why between Okada and Shingo is Okada was supposed to be the next guy up to go against Will Ospreay for the IWGP world title. And Shingo Takagi was the guy that put Will Ospreay on the shelf but lost against Will Ospreay in the in uh, Will Ospreay's last match. So... That's that, That's like one of the big things that's coming out of New Japan this week. And also, it has been reported by Dave Meltzer that WWE has been in contact with New Japan from late March to early April to do an exclusive partnership deal with New Japan. Basically, boiling it down to is if New Japan wants to have stars come over into America and work American dates they gotta work with WWE. And if WWE wants to send their talent out to Japan, they gotta do it through New Japan. So if they wanted to send a guy like Daniel Bryan, Cesaro, uh even a Buddy Murphy to New Japan, they're able to do that. And if New Japan wants to send over uh Gorillas of Destiny, Okada, Jay White, so many people, uh, they could do that to WWE. I think that's a great idea, but I also think that's a terrible idea. Reason being is this. Great idea a lot of WWE fans will be getting be able to witness who these guys are. WWE is a big uh name value. You don't have to know people in the WWE, you just got to know the WWE brand and that's all you're watching. You know the you know the WWE off the logo alone. If you know AEW, you know AEW because you actually are a fan or you're hearing about AEW from people that watch AEW for actual wrestlers that have been in the independents or in Impact or former WWE professional wrestlers. That's what you're hearing AEW about. WWE has been around for way longer than AEW. So, if New Japan were to do a deal with WWE for exclusive partnership right with them in in America or just anywhere. WWE is giving New Japan stars a bigger plat platform. New Japan is known for being hard-hitting and for like the wrestling purists that want to watch professional wrestling and not too much of sports entertainment, the whole little jokes and hokey type deals that you'll get from WWE main roster. But I see that as weighing in on the good side of the deal. It just brings out WWE uh, exposure onto more New Japan stars. That's all I'm getting at there. I'm not disrespecting New Japan for saying they don't have the big outreach that WWE does. It's a straight-up fact. You can see a WWE logo on something, You know it's WWE just off the logo. If you put that logo somewhere, if you put the New Japan logo on something right now, it will take a wrestling fan to know what that logo is. A common person on the street, if they see a WWE logo, they know exactly what the WWE logo is. That's all I'm getting at here. The bad side of it is if New Japan were to do a deal with WWE, WWE has a flaw in their system. Their stars can't be beat but so much, and what I'm going to say is, I'm going to give you an example. Right now, the hottest guy on WWE right now is Roman Reigns. Is bar none. Roman Reigns is their guy, their face. He is what's making uh, SmackDown so enjoyable to watch from week to week whenever you see Roman on it. Because of the new character that Roman's in. Not the crappy character that Vince has been trying to push Roman for so long. Anyway, I digress. Roman Reigns were to go over to New Japan. Everybody would want to see him probably go against Okada. Probably go against Tanahashi. Or even against a guy like Jay White to just get that American feel onto Jay White. And let Jay White know what it feels like. To deal with a American main eventer and have Roman deal with a guy that's been around in New Japan for only but three years? In the main event style steam? Main event scene? Anyway, getting to my point. If Roman were to lose that match, WWE will see the books of it and be like, nah, Roman's not losing that. We're going to have Roman go over Jay White. Roman's going to beat Jay White. See, and that's a problem. WWE has a controlling problem. They only want their certain stars to lose in a certain manner. Their certain stars can't lose this way. They can't lose that way. Uh, They got to lose a certain way that will keep them protected and not look weak to other uh, fans or other people. That's all WWE's main problem is. They have a problem with giving up control. And I don't see Vince giving up his control to another company just to say, okay, here's my top star, go ahead, do what you want with them. I don't see it. I don't see Vince doing it. But I could be wrong. But also, another bad thing is, New Japan has already been having some dealings with uh, Impact Wrestling and AEW. AEW right now has, well, one of their champions. One of New Japan's champions, in their well, their champion over there in New Japan, that's in AEW, is John Moxley, the former Dean Ambrose in WWE. John Moxley is the IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion, and if let's just say New Japan does do a deal with WWE, I mean that sets up another new crossover when you think about it. John Moxley will now have to defend the dude the United States title against more or less a New Japan guy, and then after that in New Japan because W because Tony Khan is not allowing John Moxley to debut on Raw, but no, that's not happening. I was about to say, but if Tony Khan happens to make a deal with WWE for this one time deal to happen, you can have John Moxley wear like an AEW shirt whenever he goes against uh, go against somebody on Raw but that's a whole fairy tale dream, okay? John Moxley is the IWGP United States Champion. He is not going over to WWE for this. Not at all. Tony Khan is not allowing that to happen. AEW right now and Impact Wrestling are a nice little unit right now that can stabilize and do their deal and do a nice good business dealing and New Japan is good right now with dealing with those two because New Japan is able to deal with Tony Khan and they're able to deal with Impact Wrestling New Japan has a bigger stock and able to hold more superstars better over in Impact Wrestling and AEW than they do in WWE because when you look at Impact Wrestling they had some New Japan stars on there some of them won certain matches. Some of them lost certain matches. Did it hurt their characters? Did it hurt the wrestlers? No. New Japan was cool with it. And then, turn over to AEW. You had Kenta. He came on to AEW television. He beat up uh, John Moxley. And he had a match with Kenny Omega against Moxley and Archer. They got the win. And it was just to set up Moxley to go against Kenta at New Japan Strong. That Uh, Friday night, and Moxley beat Kenta. It was a whole setup for this match, and Kenta ends up losing the match against Moxley at New Japan Strong. And then you had Yuji Nagata, who went over into America to go against John Moxley at AEW Dynamite for the IWGP United States title. And he ends up losing to Moxley. Did it hurt Yuji Nagata? No. Because New, uh, New Japan knows that they want to keep more of their stars be able to pop up on American television and gain more traction that way than become an exclusive partner with a big corporation that will be becoming so nitpicky of how you treat their particular talent that they will be worried about your talent that you're exchanging over with. That won't be the case. So I don't see that partnership ever happening unless, and I mean unless, Vince McMahon decides to give up uh, reigns of how his characters are being portrayed and how the win or lose in these predicaments New Japan has had some business dealings that they're cool with their stars losing but Vince that ain't his whole deal Vince is all about control he wants control and he wants control that's Vince at least to the public eye in business and how it has been structured around his wrestlers in how former wrestlers, even certain times, certain current wrestlers, talk about Vince McMahon now, even in the public eye. So that's what I'm going off of. But I digress. That has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I don't know. I'll be getting back with you guys next, well, this Saturday, because there's no uh, pay-per-view coming up. So expect another uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week this Saturday, whenever I cover Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, and Impact Wrestling. Um, What else can I say? Oh, yeah, if you haven't checked out um, my Sunday episode, check out my Sunday episode, Mad World. I talk about a lot of different topics. And that's all I have to say for this. This has been my Two Sins Podcast, G2, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I thank you for listening. Have a good rest of the week. And you'll hear from me for Wrestling Highlights Saturday. Thank you. Bye-bye now.